0: My name is Chris Overfield, for those that don't know me. I've been on staff here about four years, Um, and sometimes I actually come up here and speak. Um, It's not as nerve-wracking as it used to be, but it's still very intimidating. That being said, I'd really like to open up in prayer this morning. Lord, we just thank you for this day you've given us, and we thank you for this time that you allowed us to come together, Lord. Lord, we just ask that you would guide me as I speak this morning, that I would speak the words that you've placed in my heart, Lord, that there be clarity, Lord. And Lord, I just ask that you would give us hearts that are open to hear what you have to say, Lord. We thank you for all you've done in the past and what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, so we're actually going to start actually with the, uh, our primary scripture this morning, in 2 Corinthians ten, three, through 5 It says this. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God We capture the rebellious thought and teach them to obey Christ. The King James Version words it slightly differently. It says that, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And, you know, I I realized this was written actually about other leaders who were teaching things that weren't quite in line with um, the full word of God. But as I was looking at this scripture, what God showed, I felt God was showing me was that we need to do that as individuals, that we need to capture our own thoughts. Because a lot of our thoughts aren't necessarily, don't line up with what he says. You know, if you think about it, most of us, probably when something's happening in, on the, you know, in our lives, sometimes our imaginations can really get a hold of us. And we can start focusing on those things, and kind of sometimes we can even miss what God has to say to us. And what's interesting about this particular sermon, the way it kind of came about, was I was having a conversation with somebody who was going through a situation. And they were telling me all these things. And basically there was a lot of, I say imagination, but they were legitimate fears that they had. And that's what they were focusing on. And it was like, yeah, but remember what God's done here, remember what God's done here, remember what God's done here in your life. And I thought we'd kind of got to turn the corner, and then the situation happened that they were um, preparing for. And what happened was, it didn't go exactly the way they planned, the way they expected. And they immediately fell back into those thoughts that they had initially. And what I find is, I can do the same thing. It's interesting sometimes when we see there and we may see something in somebody else and we don't necessarily take a look and see how it affects us. In this particular case, it's one of those things, once you notice something, you know, if I told you that, that 90% of the trucks are red, when you leave the building today, you'll be looking for red trucks. And that's kind of the way this, this situation actually hit with me was it was like, you have an issue here, is why I felt God was telling me, that you don't capture your own thoughts. And then you know, there's a scripture that talks about taking the beam out of your own eye before you remove the speck out of somebody else's. And I really felt that, that was God was showing me, and we're in the process of trying to get that beam out now. We're cutting it up in smaller pieces because it's too traumatic to take out at once. Um, but anyway, point being is, is I think we have to look at that. The question is, why does it matter whether or not I take my thoughts captive? I mean, I've lived life this long. It's been fine. Why should I worry about it? But, you know, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Scott's been talking about temptations. If I was to ask you how you deal with temptations, how do they come to you normally? Normally, it's an image. Normally, it's a thought that gets there. And sometimes we don't take and address that thought when it first comes. We think it's not a big deal, and we sit there and let it grow. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in places that we don't need to be, and we find ourselves in the lifestyle maybe that we don't want to have, simply because we didn't take that thought captive to start with. We don't look to where that thought is leading. Uh, let's look at James uh, 1, 12 through 15, because it kind of talks about this. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And what really got my attention in this when it says, when sin is allowed to grow, it was like, there's an action sometimes that we take by not, by not taking an action that can really hinder us. Um, some examples of that are, are, you know, if you look at commercials in, in general, a lot of times they're trying to sell you something that you have no desire for until you see the commercial. And if you're not careful, then all of a sudden you think, hey, that looks pretty cool. And you start doing research. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you've got one sitting in the driveway or in the, in the house. It's just what happens. You have to understand, these people have been honing this trade to get you to do things that you don't necessarily even want to do. Okay? Satan has been doing this for a long time. He has the same desire. He wants you to do things that you don't want to do. Um, And it's one of those cases where the more you think about something, the more likely you are to to grab hold of that. Let's look at Psalms um, 39, 1 to 3. And this is David. You know, I really like King David because he just seems like a normal Joe. I mean, here he is. He's been anointed king. And yet he can relate his feelings in a way that most of us probably would struggle doing. He can be honest with where he's at. And he, here's what he says here. He says, I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. How many of us have gone into a situation and had that same attitude? That I think, you know what? I'm going to, going to keep my mouth shut. But as I stood there in silence... Not even speaking the good things. So he had an option, and he realized that he had an option. The turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire in words. How many of us could probably relate to that very same situation in our lives? Where we sit there and we try and not do something, and we think, okay, this is the correct way to handle this but yet that thought gets in our mind and we become fixated on it and all of a sudden that's all we're thinking about and all of a sudden we get more and more frustrated with the situation and we don't there and we don't sit there and focus on the things maybe that we should trying sometimes to again do things that are that we want to do get derailed by simple thoughts you know, I was, I was talking to Pastor Scott on Friday, and I was telling him that I'm not sure where the, you know, as far as the message, I said, I've got it down, I've went through it a couple times, but it's not where I want it. And the uh, interesting thing is, so I, I'm sitting there, I've got, I went through it twice, I think, okay, I can, I can get through this. And I go in to make my notes I'm reading here as far as my little hints for me, myself. And I'm going to go back and do them, and I feel God telling me, nope, I need you to go home. It's like, I don't want to go home. I want to get my notes done. You know, I, the way I've been trained in life is you get all your work done, and then you go play. Not the other way around. And it was like, really? But I'm beginning to learn that when he tells you something, there's a reason behind it. So I go home, I don't worry about it. I get up the next morning and think, you know, why it's cooler, I'm going to go weed the garden. Go pick some vegetables and stuff. And what I felt God showed me through that was a, a lot that weeds are much like thoughts that are uninvited guests. We get to choose whether or not they stay or go. Okay? That perhaps. When God was talking, you know, we talk about the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, uh, 18 to 23. I'm just going to summarize this. You know, he talks about throwing, some of the good seed went among the thorns and it didn't produce anything. But if you keep reading in that scripture, it says this in Matthew 13, 24 to 26. Here's another story Jesus told. This is right behind the parable of the sower. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. Okay? That night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew in, in, in the field. Okay? So the point being is: there was an enemy that came, it was good soil, it was good seed, it was planted. It was coming about, and somebody came and put weed seeds in the middle of that. Let's go to the first picture there. So I actually took this picture yesterday. Um, sometimes that's what we see in our, in our life, okay? We see just one little weed. It's not a big deal. But think about it. What is that weed's purpose in life? Its purpose is to multiply, okay? Okay? It doesn't want that one little spot. It wants the whole garden. And I think that sometimes we miss that when the enemy puts a thought in your head, it isn't just that one thought that he wants. He wants the whole garden. Okay? Let's go to the next one. This was my garden yesterday. I apologize. It never usually looks like this. I usually keep my gardens clean, and the last couple weeks have been, um, I haven't been able to be at home at night, put it that way. Um, and then I was off for a week, and I came home, and that's what I found. You know how many of those weed seeds I planted? None. And yet, there they are. And it's like, sometimes we think that we have to plant the seeds. That's not always true. You have an enemy out there, and his goal is to plant those seeds in your, in your head. Now, if you go to picture three there, this is what the garden looked like after I got done. You know, it took effort to get those weeds out of there, and because I let them grow for so long, it took a long time to get part of those out. I've got, still got more, just so you know. Um, but my point being to that is, that sometimes when we let those things grow in our life, we want things to be done and done instantly gone. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes it takes effort on our part to pull those weeds, okay? And when you pull weeds, you have to pull them with care because if you don't, you pull out the good plants. You know, in the the scripture we were just reading, it goes on to say, leave, leave the weeds there because you're going to tear out all the good crops. You have to be careful when you're pulling those things that you just pull out the weeds. Sometimes that's a hard thing to figure out is what's, good, what's a good plant and what's not. The other thing I noticed was sometimes it takes a different vantage point. I can sit there and I can work on one side of a plant and get that all done and think I'm done and then they'll walk around the other side and, oh, here's some more. And as far as personal lives, the way that it kind of applies is a lot of times other people will see things in us that we don't. It's okay to have other people speak into your lives and sit there and tell you, hey, this is what I see. Then you have to determine whether or not that actually applies because sometimes people will see things that aren't there, but sometimes they actually do see things that are. You know, we have a choice sometimes. You know, I could have just taken the attitude, you know, it's it's too far gone. I can just, you know, I'm just going to mow everything off and rototill it under and start over. Well, as you know, the growing season right now is kind of shortened. Point being is, I would lose the whole crop if I did that. So don't get, as we go through this today, don't get intimidated by the weeds you may see in your life and think, I can't handle that. Remember, God didn't ask you to handle it. He says, I'm going to come alongside you and show you how to handle that. Um. I want to talk a little bit real quickly about Abraham's story, because it talks about a thought that he had. In Genesis 15, he tells him he's going to have um, a son, okay? And he sits there, and him and Sarah get together, and his wife, and say, you know what? I'm barren. I can't have any kids, so here. I'm going to use this person as a surrogate, and you can have a child through her. And that happens. But also, the other thing to remember is that when God spoke this to him initially, it says that he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, okay? Thirteen years later, okay, this is after Ishmael was born, it says this in Genesis 17, 15 to 21, then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will, will no longer be Sarai, for from now on her name will be Sarah and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. The king of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. Now here's the same guy that a few chapters before that it was counted to him as righteousness when God said you're going to have a son. How could I become father at the age of 100 he thought? And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? I mean, think about it. How many of us would want to have kids at 90? So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also. Just as you have asked, I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. But here's my point to this. His first thought was disbelief. You know, when God speaks something to you and says, this is what I want you to do, most of us can probably relate to exactly what happened with him. It's like, no, you know. Because I'm old, because I don't have the skill set, because of this. And we can come up with a whole slew of things. Our first response usually isn't because you said. Okay? In Genesis 18, it talks about his angels. I'm just going to summarize this again. They come back and they reaffirm that, that she's going to have this baby. And this time, Sarah hears it. She does the same thing that her husband did, and she laughs. What's interesting is is they confront her on this, and she kind of digs the hole a little deeper, and she lies about it. And then she finally admits that, you know, I did. But my point being to that is her reaction was the same as her husband's. Probably most of us, if we're um, honest, if we're in that same situation, we would struggle the same way. But there's a thing I want to remind you about as far as this goes. Did he make a mistake? Yes. Was his thought process always good? No. But he got back up. And he did exactly what God called him to do. And we look at him now as a man of faith. So don't sit there and if you stumble sometimes, sit there and don't be afraid to get back up. Sometimes there's a long time between a promise and an event. And I don't think we necessarily spend a lot of time talking about that. We pray for something and we want it now. Or God speaks to us, says, I'm calling you to do this. And we think it's going to happen next week. We don't think about it's a process a lot of times to prepare us to get us ready to do what he's called us to do. I mean, we look at David's life in particular. He sat there and was told he was going to be king, Right? It was a long time before he ever became king. But in that process, God led him through different things in his life that would actually help prepare him to be king. It caught him to be reliant upon God. Had he just made him king that next day, he would have missed that whole journey and it would have been a problem or could have been a problem. The biggest thing I want to bring out to that is Whenever God says something, is remember what He said. I've told you this before. I'm a big person who says if God speaks to you, write it down. Don't wait till you get home. Don't wait till next week. As much as you think you're going to remember exactly what God spoke to you, you won't. You add words to it. You take words away, and all of a sudden you start tweaking it if you're not careful to your own desires. And you, the reason I want you to write it down is so that you can go back. And remind yourself of what God said. When those things don't line up in your life, those thoughts come against that. You can sit there and go, nope, this is what God told me. So this is what I'm going to believe. Let's look at uh, Luke two sixteen to 20. Because we're going to talk a lot about the negative side of thoughts today. But there's also one of the things I want you to understand there are some very good things that you need to grab hold of. Again, it's one of those things, when God speaks something to you, grab hold of those things and don't let them go. It says they, this is talking about when Jesus was born and the shepherds. It says, They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and that the angel, what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought of them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now think about this. Mary is sitting there. She's going to raise this child up, her and Joseph. You know, they're going to have to flee the country. They're going to have a situation where Jesus goes and he's in the temple when they think he's with the group. He gets lost, kind of, or at least as far as they were concerned, he was lost. And then, if you know, when he does his first miracle at age 30, he's, his his mom is the one that's pressing him to do the miracle, and he's sitting there telling her it's not time yet. My point to this is, she, I don't believe she ever for, forgot, sorry, what the angel told him, and that's a big deal. I mean, I can't imagine what she was thinking when he's hanging on the cross. This doesn't line up with what I thought this was going to look like. And yet, I believe that she could still hold on to the fact of what the angels had told these shepherds. So here comes a question for you. How do we identify a thought? What is its intent? You know, do we even care about its intent? You know? Most of us have seen a CPI commercial. What's the first thing that they ask when an intruder comes into the house? Identify yourself, okay? First thing you ask, okay? What would happen if when they thought came to our mind, if we did that same thing? Said, identify yourself. What is your intent? What is your purpose? Would that help us on what we keep our eyes fixed on? Or do we just kind of have an open door policy? Thoughts come in, thoughts go out. We don't care if they come and go, they can do whatever they'd like and don't realize the danger of that. You know, really it comes down to this. Should that thought stay or go? That is really the main question. I looked up at John 10.10 and it says this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, Sorry, steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And one of the things that caught my attention when I was reading this was I'd always read that as the thief's purpose as is to steal or kill or destroy. But that's not what it says. His purpose is to do all three. He isn't satisfied with just stealing. He isn't satisfied with just killing. His main purpose is actually to destroy. But he wants everything. He doesn't want just a part of that. So we take in... I'm going to draw on the board here. And we have a thought. Okay? I'm just going to write short in this. steal, kill, and destroy in this column. And in this column is to give life, uh, give a satisfying life. Yeah, you get it. (laughs) Anyway, the point being is, do we want to get a thought, do we sit there and say, does it line up in this column or does it line up in this column? What is the purpose of that thought? What is its end game? So let's look at Psalms 139, 23 to 24 and see if we get some more insight. This is David again. He says, search me, O God, and know and test my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So he's admitting that he has thoughts that are, you know, he's concerns. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path to everlasting life. Let's look at Psalms 104, to 35. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. Let all sinners vanish from the face of the earth for the wicked disappear forever and let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One of the things I want to point out in these two scriptures is he's asking God to help him with his thoughts. You know, do we go to God and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area, or here's a thought that I keep having. Is that from you, or is that from the enemy? And he talks about in the next scripture about making sure that those thoughts are pleasing to God. Let's look at Romans 5, or 8, 5 through 8. And this is talking about sin in particular. It says, those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. My point to that is, it's that whole thought of, of a thought can lead to death, or it can lead to life. And we actually have a choice in it. The choice, is, the, one of the questions is, is, do we want to take the time and effort to find it? So, and it also just summarizes that you know, what we think about is really important. So how do we take control of our thoughts? Let's look at Ephesians four seventeen to 24. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him... Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And the thing that really, got, again, got my attention with this was this idea that we have to allow the Spirit to renew our thoughts. You know, we talked a couple weeks ago about some of the struggles that we can have within ourselves if we don't let the Holy Spirit come and renew our thoughts about others, about ourselves, about what God's calling is. Because if we can't allow that Holy Spirit to come in there and change those thoughts about ourselves, it's going to be a problem. You know, we talked about Moses the last time. As far as God told him who he was and what did Moses do. He turned right around and said who he wasn't, and it was a real struggle. Now here, with all that struggle that he had, one thing we should have learned from that is Moses still went ahead and got back up and learned and allowed the Spirit to change his mind about who he was. Sometimes that can be a painful experience. Um, Let's look at Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Sorry. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, and lovely, and admirable, and think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me and everything that you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So if we take that verse 8 in particular, you can put it back up here if you want. In verse 8, it talks about what is true. Okay? We're going to put this on this column. We're going to actually make a little spot for a little checkbox. So, what is true? Am- Let's see. Honorable. Right. Pure. Lovely. admirable, sorry about my spelling, my writing here, excellent, and worthy of praise. If we took our thought and we lined it up in here and we say, okay, Is this the column that it fits in? Or is it over here with lie? Dishonorable? Wrong? Sinful? Dreadful? Dreadful? deplorable or criticism. We had to sit there again with our thoughts and we're sitting here as those thoughts come to us where they line up. You know, you might have some thoughts that kind of seem like they're balancing on the two. Um, and you just got to kind of look at that and let the Holy Spirit guide you in all your, you know, as far as how you think about those things. Sometimes our understanding of what those thoughts are needs to change. But the point being is, if we actually took our thoughts and made a checklist along the way, how many of those thoughts would stay? How many of those things would we become fixated on? You know, Pastor Scott has, has talked, you know, as far as with sin and temptation, you know, if that's the sin and that's God. Sometimes we sit there and if we're not careful, we sit there and focus on that and try to back away from that instead of turning around and focusing on the direction we want to go. You know you can walk a whole lot faster and safer if you look at what you want to go than if you sit there and look at what you're trying to avoid. And sometimes that temptation can actually come back because you're still focusing on that. You know, we look at Let's look at David again. I'm going to read a couple psalms again. You know, David, he was anointed king at a, as a, at a young age, and you, when you look at his life, his family didn't believe in him. You know, he tries to go and serve the king at the time, and that goes well for a little bit, and then the king doesn't like him anymore, and all of a sudden the king trying to kill him, and he just has these constant struggles. He's exiled out of the country. He's a refugee. He's living among his enemies, trying to survive. And you think about that and all the thoughts and turmoil that must have went through his mind. But God, you said I was king. What am I doing here? And yet, when you look at him and listen to, you know, read through some of the Psalms, it's amazing to look at how well he could express his fears, how well he could express his feelings about things, That sometimes I think we could all take lessons from. That sometimes we don't know how to appropriately talk about the things that are bothering us. That when those thoughts come, we try to just hide them and cover them up instead of exposing them and dealing with them. He didn't deny what was going on in his life, but he didn't say fixated in it either. He focused usually on what God said and who God was. Let's look at Psalms 3. This is David. He goes, oh, Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue me. But then he flips it around. He says, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face and shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord, and may you bless your people. So he starts out saying, this is where I'm at. But then he turns that around and says, this is the God I know you are. Let's look at Psalms 13. And we're going to look at the first four verses here first. It says, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and sorrow, in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eye, or I'm going to die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. So he's, at, he's got in a very real situation where he's feeling alone and deserted, okay? But then he follows it up in verses 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So if you look at that, he's actually saying, I will. You will. He understands who God is. And even though I don't see it right now, Even though I may have these thoughts that you've abandoned me, I know this is what you're going to do. And he starts focusing back on who God is. It's okay to express your feelings, but you don't want to stay there. You know, I talked last time I spoke as far as I went to the conference, and I struggled. I felt... Everything, how inadequate I was. I didn't measure up in all these different areas. And I came back and I struggled in the, in, for a couple of weeks and just couldn't put my hand on what it was that was bothering me. And basically, looking back at it, it was because I didn't capture those thoughts that came to me that said I'm not enough. I think we could each... Do that if we're not careful. And it took me, it was two or three weeks before we kind of got that settled. But it's one of those things that sometimes when you recognize a weed for what it is, the next time you see it, you're a little more proactive about it. It was funny. Wednesday night, we're sitting there having our Bible study, and uh, Pastor Scott asked a question. He didn't ask it to me, he just asked it to the group. My mind went totally blank. You know those same feelings came back? That says, what do you think you're doing? You're not a, you can't, you are not a pastor material. Because you don't even know it, can't even answer a simple question. But, the difference was, this time I recognized the thought. And said, no, this is what God said. I'm going to act the way he told me to. You have to, again... It's one of those things you've got to allow yourself to learn to do. Don't expect yourself to just sit there and just have it together all at once. All right, so we're giving you a bunch of tools today. There are so many scriptures. I was talking with somebody earlier before service about looking. I looked up the word think. I looked up the word thoughts. And then there's the word mind. I was stunned at how much was in the word about those things. And I never really studied those before to figure out how important those are. Usually, if something's really important in a textbook, they're going to repeatedly come at it from different angles. So the fact that it's in there so often is something that we have to remain diligent with and be aware of. And you have some tools now to kind of go back and look at. I would encourage you to get your word out. I would encourage you to study this for yourself. I can almost guarantee you that every one of you will have a challenge in your thought life today, tomorrow at the latest, okay? Some of you won't make it out of this room. Some of you are probably having a trouble right now, and it's okay. The question is, is what are you going to do with that thought? What are you, is it, what are you going to do when it doesn't line up with the side that says life? What are you going to do when you see that, okay, the end game of this thought is to destroy me? What am I going to do? The hard part is the choice is yours alone. I can't sit there and fix it for you. Curtis can't fix it for you. The elders can't fix it for you. It's your choice. That's not saying you can't get other people to come alongside of you and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area right now. Can you pray with me? It's a choice that you have. Will I remember the God that I serve? Okay? Or am I going to get fixated on the issue? Will I remember what he said about and you have to fill in the blank? When God has spoke something to you and you don't see it yet, will I remember what he told me? Will I keep my thoughts pure? Will I remove those thoughts of doubt? Because one of the purposes of those thoughts of doubt is to keep you from fulfilling what God's called you to. And you know what that also means? If you're not fulfilling what he's called you to, are you walking in obedience or disobedience? Bottom line. And it's one of those things you have to be careful with because there's, I I heard a sermon here recently. And it was talking about a revealed date versus a um, launch date. Or something similar. But my anyway, point being is that sometimes God will speak things to you just like He did to, uh, to Abraham, that something that's going to happen in the future. It's not ready to go yet. There is a re- the other portion of that was a release date. And sometimes, if we're not careful, that in between time, those seeds and thoughts of doubt will come into our minds. And we have to be aware that they're going to come. The enemy does not want to see you succeed in what God's called you to. His whole purpose is, is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's going to take some effort. If you have not been thinking this mindset about keeping these weeds out, you're, it's going to take some effort, just tell you right up front. But it's worth the effort. It will produce fruit if you allow the good plants to grow. I hope you make this through your prayer today. And I want to end with Philippians 4:8. Fix your eyes on the thoughts that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. These things are excellent and worthy of praise. If you can kind of again, I just the reason I wanted to hit that again is because if you've got a thought and it doesn't kind of line up in that category, then maybe you need to get rid of that thought. You need to be aware that it's there. Sometimes you need to pull it up by the roots. You know, when I was weeding the garden yesterday, not only did I pull the weeds, I threw the weeds out of the garden. I don't take any chance that that weed is going to sit there and get some rain and come to replant itself. Be aware that those, those weeds sometimes are very uh, durable. You know, they, they will sit there and try to find some way to stay alive. You have to be aware of this and be diligent about it.